Welcome to the Collingwood Podcast for 125 birthday celebrations and we're lucky enough to have Michael Malthouse, Collingwood's 2010 Premiership coach, uh, speaking to us about uh, the Collingwood Football Club. Michael, thanks for joining us. Glenn, it's a pleasure. It's been an amazing uh, 125 years for Collingwood. Uh, tell us about your link to Collingwood, your earliest links to Collingwood as a supporter, Michael. Well, I grew up in Ballarat and my uh, grandfather played football was on my mother's side my father played football for North Ballarat so I grew up as a um, as a Northie which is uh, yeah. who are black and white and, and at an age when I can't quite remember but young enough and old enough to know that there's football played in Melbourne I said uh, you know what colours uh what, what's the team that has black and white? So it was Collingwood. And so that was my team. That's how I got the team. Because my grandfather actually was asked to play for Fitzroy. And as a consequence of that, I think that, that my mother's side of the family all Fitzroy. And my father's side, which was typical of um, country Victoria, particularly Ballarat, it was, you, you, you gravitated to Geelong. So um, I was sort of the odd man out there for a little while, but... Um, and you've got a great column in the today's Sunday Herald Sun about your journey down to, to watch the 1964 grand final. Uh, can you tell us about that? Well, it was quite remarkable, really, because we, you know, I hadn't been to Melbourne was such a long way away, and for us anyway, it doesn't sound that today. And people just they go, "You're silly." It's only out the road, but it was you know the Pentland Hills were the were the, the like the big border. It was like the, like a Chinese wall in many respects. You didn't want to go beyond the Pentland Hills, and and uh, Melbourne just seemed such a strange place, big place, and you just um, you listened on the radio, or you might have read a little bit about how the team was going, and. Uh, Somewhere or another, my father ended up with some uh, ticked with some friends, uh, neighbours not not far away, and I went to the game and out in the outer. I don't know how much I actually saw of the game because you know it was a real crush to get number one standing next to him, and it was all standing area in those days. So I ended up getting a couple of times, I think, to the fence, and, and not not the fence of the ground, but the fence up in up in that second tier. I was able to, to have a, a little glimpse of the ground, but I must have been in the right position at the wrong time to watch Crompton run down the ground and kick a damn goal for, for Melbourne. And, uh, you know, it, 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 Gabbo's run and everything else paled when the siren went and Melbourne won the dunk. What, what an incredible game that must have been. And poor Bob Rose, the coach, you, you know, in hindsight, you'd look back and feel for Bob Rose and what he went through as a, as a coach in grand finals. Well... Interestingly enough, uh, somehow or another I got to know Bobby, um, I, I, I don't know when my first association was Bob, but I always thought what a great, great man, a great gentleman, and when I went to Collingwood as a coach, then it got to know uh, Bob's family, reasonably his wife, pretty well, and I think, I, I remember Nanette coming home from the 2002 Grand Final, and, and she said, um, I got some wonderful support today and I said well we probably needed it after getting beaten she said well you know the Roses have been through this and they understand exactly you know what 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 we're going through and I said well it's handy to have that because it gives you a bit of an insight into what you can expect uh, you know like premierships are hard I, I lost one at West Coast so, so I knew exactly what it, what it does to you but you know I, I could only imagine what it'd be like for Bobby when he's lost 
so we lost a few and didn't win one. Yes. I think the, the winning probably covers over a lot of a lot of the ones you lose because you just you just stuck with it. And you know, I, I, was, I was fortunate; I was stuck with it for a year before we won one at the West Coast. So, but having said that, I had to wait for a number of years before we won one at Collingwood yes. after losing that one in two thousand and two and three. And I reckon the one that got away from us, perhaps, was 2007. I don't think many people will look at it that way, but um, you know, we did it very, very hard to get there in 2007 by going across to the west, beating West Coast, and coming back. I can't remember whether it be six days. It, it may well have been the seventh day, but whatever it was, it was a, a long trip, a hard trip. We we only just got pipped on the on the post by Geelong, who went on then. Absolutely smashed Port Adelaide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that 2007 preliminary final is an absolute classic of a game, and, and you would have thought you would have been a serious chance to win the following week. Well, you never know, and this is something that can only be speculated on because we don't know what the outcome would have been. I know I would have lost two players from that game, uh, two very important players from that game, but nonetheless, we had momentum and we were playing some pretty, pretty pretty good football I'm trying to remember who the other player was Nathan Buckley did his hamstring was there another player there that oh Anthony Rock would have been really doubtful because he right. broke a bone in his ankle ah yes so um, and, and I, I I regarded Anthony as the barometer of our side I, I still think to this day that in the early from when I took over to the day he retired I thought Anthony Rock was our most important player Absolutely. And just on, on um, uh, Peter McKenna too, you, you obviously followed Peter as a young fellow and you had a few experiences with him uh, when you were coach of Collingwood as well. Yeah, a long time, a long time ago, but it's amazing when you... I had a plastic footy. I used to go out, in the, out on the road. Our neighbours were pretty sparse in those days and I'd keep the football right foot down, down the hill, oh, sorry, up the hill and left foot down the hill and, and see how far I could get and I, I ended up almost a kilometre away from home after I'd, my right foot was always going to be 15 to 20 metres further than my left foot but it, it, not that I in fact I was a shocking left foot kick but it, it did teach me that I did have a left leg and uh, that plastic football become Peter McKenna's on Saturday I'd, what, I'd, you know you'd listen to the AVC or whatever it was on and, and uh, after a game in the morning when I played for Wendery West uh, and later on Northborough, but certainly Wendering West, it was a case of being Peter McKenna. <laughs> and you had a bit to do with him. Uh, he obviously presented the Cup in 2010, um, and I think you had a, an experience with him, uh, a, another couple of experiences with Peter McKenna uh, around that time. I got to know Peter when, he, when I went to Collingwood, and like he's, he's a, to me, he's a, a player that, uh, he's just an all-time great for the Collingwood Football Club and I probably hunted him out I'd say very early early days just to have a chat to a to a, uh, to a hero of mine and, and uh, what a wonderful player he was absolutely and, 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 a very, and, and full of wisdom too you know such a such a really beautiful person absolutely gentleman isn't he absolute gentleman um, and did that 2002 uh, side Mick you used to try and keep that photo I think in your office didn't you about a, a, you know a grinding team that, that did everything in its power to get through to a grand final does that team I mean as middly the 2010 premiership team sits with you uh, from Collingwood but you also have great memories of that 2002 and 2003 uh, teams as well well it that, that particular team really had had four or five what you'd call players that most clubs would absolutely die for and really without taking without sort of taking away 
the, the quality of the player, it was the quality of the person that we had who were the main reasons why we ended up playing off in two grand finals because they just didn't lie down and, and wouldn't lie down. And, and, and quite frankly, I, I really suspect at that time of their development, not many clubs would have taken many of those players into their into their club. Not certainly not not, not based on, on on quality of person, but more quality of football. In fact, when we sort of dissected the side a fair bit in two thousand and three, I don't think many, if any, ended up at another club. We cut quite, and we you know we we really did we did uh, slice the, the club about a bit in that time to to have our next assault. Absolutely. 125 years, it's a long time. Where, where do you see the club going in the next, uh, and the competition going in the next 25 years, do you think? Well, I think with the, the competition really has to be very careful how much it bites off because we, we seem to be doing a lot of extra stuff outside either of Australia or into other parts, of, and I'm talking about the women's comp yes. and that sort of stuff. I, I, I really do believe that we have totally take our eye off the football in regard to the grassroots. I I don't think that it's been meaningful. I don't think that anyone sort of said, oh, look, let's forget it. But I don't think that they've really understood it. And I I do talk to a lot of people from the fringes, if you like, of football. And I'm talking about Tasmania. I'm talking about country Victoria, suburban Victoria. And it's it's alarming, the number of teams that that have finished up, wound up, have to merge or running with five sides as opposed to ten sides, three sides opposed to seven sides. The numbers aren't there. We're losing them. And we're losing them for, for a variety of reasons, which I, I won't bore you with at the moment. But as far as Collingwood goes, I think um, the Collingwood Football Club is well and truly going to be a, a, a trend maker. Everyone, everyone wanted to be... When, when uh, the visionary... And I say Eddie's a visionary. When, he, when we went to Olympic Park and put up our rooms. Everyone then wanted to say, look, we've got better rooms in Collingwood. Yes. It wasn't a matter of... Uh, if you had to say that in 2001, of course you did. You can go down and hire a tin shed from Bunnings <laughs> and be better than what we had in 2000. But when you establish yourself at Olympic Park, everyone said, oh, look, you know, we're going to emulate it, but we're going to be better than them. And, and, that, and that's the standard that the club set. So, and it's, and it's set that all the way through. Absolutely. Michael, it's a fantastic column you've got in the Sunday Herald Sun, and we really appreciate your time today. Pleasure. Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilant sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.